Once upon a time, in a faraway land, I woke up and realized I am going to be a dentist. Said like no one ever. These are the real stories, not fairy tales. As we go behind the smiles, this is a podcast where we interview and chat with some of the biggest leaders in dentistry, learn their stories, and share their motivation with your host, Dr. Gina Dorfman. Today's podcast is brought to you by Yappy, an automated paperless software for dentists and their teams. Learn more at yappyapp.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Smiles podcast. Today is a special episode because it's a crossover episode from my good friend, Dr. Michael Link's The Practice on Fire podcast. A few words about Practice on Fire. It started as a mastermind group of like-minded dentists organized by Drs. Graham Dursley and Mm -hmm. Michael Ling. Over time, it evolved into much more than they had originally envisioned. One week in the year, Practice on Fire doctors take time away from their busy practices to share their latest unconventional secrets, insights, and hacks. These aren't the typical systems and checklists sold by consultants. These are real solutions created by real dentists, just like you, who are innovating, testing, and implementing these solutions every single day. The next Practice on Fire event is coming up soon. This year, the event will be held on May 17th and 18th, 2019, at Top Golf Miami Gardens in Miami, Florida. If you are tired of doing the same thing and getting the same results, you don't want to miss this event because you are probably struggling with one or maybe both of the problems we're going to address at the meeting. Problem number one, you are dragged down by having to manage and motivate your team. Problem number two, you wish you had more of the right kind of new patients. Now, how much more enjoyable would practice in dentistry be if you had a self-motivating team who were completely on board and dedicated to help you grow your practice even when you're not around? And how much more would your practice explode if you had more high-value, highly motivated patients who see you as an authority, seek you out for treatment, and are eager to say yes? If you are tired of following the conventional wisdom and getting conventional results, this meeting is for you. Go to practiceonfirelife.com to sign up now. This year, the organizers limited registration to only 60 doctors to make sure that everyone gets the most value out of this meeting. And now, take a listen to this interview. Gina, part one, we talked about how to identify toxic employees. How do you know when somebody's coachable and when they're not? We talked about some of the conventional wisdom out there and why it doesn't work. We talked about the mentality of treating staff like children versus coaching. Let's move on to bonuses. That's a big one. Again, the conventional wisdom is I have a team and I'm having trouble motivating them. So what kind of money can I give them and how can I structure this to turn them into a motivated team? And I hope that you can tell um, my bias is that it's a crock of shit. No, like it works. But what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> you know, I completely agree with that. <laughs> here's, here's the problem with bonuses. Actually, there's quite a few. So it doesn't work. And at least it doesn't work in a long term. And, and there are a couple of reasons for that. The reason number one is, is people are internally motivated. You know, when they wake up in the morning, they're either motivated or not. 
and they bring their motivation to work. They put their heart and soul into something that they absolutely love doing. I mean, this is this is how hobbies work. No one gets paid for their hobbies. And yet, you know, they put energy and time and their own money into doing this because they love doing it and they're motivated to keep going. And uh, that's not how work work works, right? So, so for some people, work is almost like a hobby. You know, you and I, I hear we're not getting paid right now and yet we're here. You know, it's still uh, early in California, but it's, it's pretty late where you're at. And, and yet we're doing this because we're, enjoying ourselves because we're motivated to do this. And so motivation comes from within. You cannot motivate anyone externally. And the idea is that you can just throw money. Usually you can throw money at, at a problem and solve it, but this is not one of those situations. And the other problem with bonuses is that the reason they don't produce long-term results is pretty much the same reason why diets don't produce long-term results. You know, we it's a program. It's something that we have to stick with. And, and when we stick with it, it works for a little while. Uh, there's so many diets out there, right? There is the, uh, the Southwest diet, the Nutrisystem, the Weight Watchers, and they're just scratching the surface. And the thing is, they all work. All of these diets work. You go on a diet, you purchase their meal plan, uh, you, you eat out of the box for a certain period of time and you start losing weight and you go measure in and it's exciting and you buy new clothes. And then as soon as you go back to your human nature, because human nature comes back no matter what, you know, at some point you can't eat out of the box anymore. You know, you, you need, you're, you're going to start snacking, you're going to cheat a little bit. And the next thing you know, maybe a few years later, you're back to your original weight. Now you're looking at new diets. I mean, this is this is how it works because in order to really lose weight permanently long-term, it requires a lifestyle change. Now I'm going to use you and Meg as an example because you're a perfect example for this. Um, I can't imagine you guys ever going on a diet and yet you have a very healthy lifestyle. You eat healthy. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you know, you, you exercise, you don't drink, you don't smoke. That's your lifestyle. That's who you are. I don't need to convince you of the benefits of not smoking, right? You're just, this is, this is what you do. You're, you're a healthy, not a healthy person. You're a person with a healthy lifestyle. And so you don't need a diet. You don't need a gimmick. You don't need a bonus. You are doing what comes natural to you. And maybe it wasn't natural at one point or the other, but what I'm trying to say is you are not on a program. You are in a a lifestyle. And the same thing, the same thing happens on when we go to the gym, right? We get motivated to lose weight on January 1st. I saw a mutual friend, Josh Wyatt, uh, post somewhere on Facebook, something along the lines of, oh, don't worry, there'll be plenty of parking spaces on at the gym on February, right? Because that's how it works. We get motivated, we join the gym, we buy new workout clothes, we work really hard the first couple of weeks, and then it's all down the same rabbit hole because we didn't make a lifestyle change. We signed on with a program. And that's what happens with bonuses. We lose motivation. We, you know, it's exciting in the beginning. We work really hard. We, we get the bonus check. And then three months later, we're back to our ways of working because we haven't made a lifetime decision. So how do we make that decision? How do we make that change? I had a friend who, um, unfortunately, well, many years ago, lost his dad to a heart attack. And after he lost his dad, 
he made a decision to stop smoking. He got a chance of prescription and he hasn't smoked since. I have another friend who got into cycling and he's, uh, he shared that moment when he's going, uh, he's climbing and all of a sudden he felt like he was uh, out of breath. And that was when he, he literally said, I don't want to be that guy. And he never smoked again. There was no, you know, no patch, no program, no consulate, no chantix. He just made the decision that he's not going to be that guy. And it takes real inspiration. Sometimes it takes tragedy and adversity to make that change, that decision. Sometimes it could be inspiration. And yes, inspiration can come from, I don't know, Tony Robbins or an employer who's also a great leader, but it truly requires an inspiration. Again, I'm bringing Simon Sinek. Uh, Simon Sinek said you can motivate someone to join the gym, but to, to get them to go three times a week for the rest of their lives, that requires inspiration. And, and that's why bonuses don't work. They're, they don't inspire people. They may motivate them for a short period of time, but in order to be inspired, you first of all need to be inspired. And second of all, you have to have the internal motivation to keep going when going gets mundane and hard and, and you start coming up with all of the excuses when human nature comes back. People are not, we're not bad people. We're not trying to pull a fast one on our employers, right? Or our parents. We're just, it's just, that's, that's who we are. We go back to our learned behaviors, and, and something major needs to happen to motivate us and to inspire us to change our lifestyle or the way we work. And, and, and unfortunately, a bonus is just not going to do it. And another problem, of course, with bonuses is that, you know, they actually sometimes work the other way around. Because when you think about it, it's like you have this, um, you know, if you have an A student and you, you, you tell them, okay, I'm going to give you $300 Every time you get an, a, a better A, how harder, how much harder can this poor student work, right? Their growth curve is not going to be that great and, and it's going to actually demotivate them. Whereas the lazy person, the C-level employee, you give a team bonus. Now they're just, first of all, it doesn't take that much for them to improve, but also they're kind of writing the coattails of the A-star who is killing themselves for the rest of the team. And so what you're doing is now, on one hand, you're motivating or encouraging lazy behavior. On the other hand, you're demotivating someone who's already been an excellent employee. Yeah, I mean, by doing that, you're intentionally introducing an extrinsic motivator that's going to override that person's intrinsic one. And the intrinsic one is so much more powerful. And, you know, when we're talking about bonuses, this is not my opinion. This is not your opinion. This is science. This is proven in the psychological research that bonuses don't work for this type of work. Uh, now, there are some types of work where I think bonuses are appropriate and are effective. And these are the types of things that are repetitive or that don't require a lot of creativity or risk-taking or that are assembly line type tasks or that are sales type tasks, like commission. Commission works for salesmen. That's proven fact. Or things that are individual efforts versus team efforts. I think those are the types of things that work for uh, bonuses. So if I'm going door to door trying to sell something, and that's an individual task where it's repetitive, I'm just spitting out the same spiel every single time, that I think you can motivate somebody to knock on more doors by paying them more money. 
but this doesn't describe what we do in a dental office. I mean, there's, there's nothing that we do that fits these, um, these criteria of being repetitive, not creative, assembly line type, um, low risk individual type tasks. I can't think of anything that is like that. Maybe it's um, a sales position, maybe. But I mean, how many of us have a true sales person in our office that's only doing sales and that's doing individual sales? When we do sales in the office, it's a team effort. It's not one person um, cold calling and, and selling something over the phone. Now, there are lots of docs out there that will think, well, but it does work, right? Look at my office. It, it works. I've, I've proven that it works. And my uh, response to that would be, you're fighting science. And it's almost like the dentist who in their clinical work insists on putting a post in every molar endo because it works. Damn it, it works in my hands. And that's how I get my molars to last long. But we'd say, well, no, if you look at uh, the research, that's not necessary. But no, it works in my hands. And the danger is, Somebody sees it works in this guy's hands and they copy it because they assume he's right. And then somebody else copies it and somebody sells it as the solution. Hey, look, here's the way to do endo. You got to put, you got to put posts in every single molar. And really for those people, well, first of all, if it works great, if your molars are lasting forever, never breaking, I'm not going to tell you don't put a post in. Uh, I would tell you though, that for people that are, that are doing these things that are opposite of what the science says, they're probably successful in spite of these things, not because of these things. So I think it's, it's, it's very clear to me that um, trying to motivate people through money is, is just not a, a great way to go in a, a dental office. And, and so does it work? Uh, I guess it can, just like if I do posts and uh, my molar endo, can it work? Sure, it can. There's just a lot easier ways to do it and not have to put a post in and not have to deal with the downside as of doing a post. And you're exactly right with the, the exercise analogy, the diet analogy. And with bonuses, I've yet to meet, I've yet to meet somebody whose bonus didn't very quickly turn into entitlement. Um, it just loses its effect um, so quickly. Absolutely. And, and the problem is when it turns into entitlement, first of all, now you cannot take it away. So you tried it, it didn't work. And you can't take it away because now everyone's pissed, right? And uh, ask me how I know, by the way. <laughs> and again, it's okay. Can you do it? Sure. Go for it if you want. But there's so, there's, I mean, there's easier ways to do this. It's easier, more effective and proven by science. So let's talk a little bit about that, about um, how, you, how you align people and how you motivate people that's not with money. Well, again, I, I don't believe that I can uh, motivate people. Um, I, I think people are internally motivated. I, I think that people, you know, if someone comes in. So I, I saw something online that really, I mean, still, like I saw it like a few months ago and it still bothers me a lot. Someone asked about a keylogger software because every time the dentist is not in the office, which I think is like maybe every Friday, you know, the receptionist is or front desk, whoever is there, is supposed to be calling recall, posting insurance, doing administrative tests. And what he found is that she is always online doing personal things. And, you know, obviously there is a concern about the security and integrity of the record. And obviously, you know, my, my first thought was like, okay, half her site paperwork, she's not allowed to visit any of those sites because I'm immediately 
by virtue of my other non-dental job, I'm always thinking about the integrity of the record and, and um, you know, um, encryption and, and all that fun stuff. But then I'm thinking if you have to, you know, install cameras and, and keylogger and uh, block certain sites just to make sure that your employees are not surfing the web while you're away, that's treating them like children. And, and we already determined in our you know, previous conversation that that's not something that we um, aspire to do. And so, so what do we do? We, the only way to really deal with something like this is to engage our employees. And again, I, I, I'm not going to say motivate. I'm not going to say manage because I don't believe you can manage people. I don't believe you can motivate people externally, at least in the long term, um, but rather engage. I mean, people, when people come in, we, we talk about hobbies, right? When someone finds their job interesting and fun and exciting and and when they're the right fit for the job and they can see the value of what they're doing, you know, dentists always love to talk. Forget dentists, consultants love to talk about the value. And, uh, you know, if, if an employee sees the value of what they're doing, if finishing you know, past due insurance claim report um, and getting the money collected, if that gives them joy, then you don't have to worry about keylogger software. They're going to get it done whether you're around or not. And and yes, you might be thinking, well, who would be that person? Well, it, there's two things. One, most people want to do well no matter what. And some people are particularly motivated to do a good job. And obviously finding people who are already motivated is key. Um, obviously, treating them like you truly believe that they want to do a good job is key. Uh, but also, part of leadership is is really creating, you know, the kind of job that would be interesting and engaging and, and have value. And I see a lot of doctors post about millennials and, and uh, you know, I always say, I think, I personally think it's it's the next great generation. Um, I think that their, you know, um, social responsibility and their, their, they're less actually interested in material things than the previous generations. And they, they have very strong values. They uh, strive to contribute and, and be part of something bigger than themselves. And, and it really takes a right, the right environment and the right boss and the right practice to get them truly engaged. But if you do, then they'll be your best employees and they won't need a keylogger to uh, concentrate on work. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a classic example of treating people like children. But we hire grown-ups, we treat them like grown-ups and we expect them to act like grown-ups. I'll give you my take on, on motivation. I, and I completely agree with you, but I have a little bit of a different spin on it. And I've, again, this is something that I've really put a lot of thought into and done a lot of reading on over the past uh, few months because we're dealing with these exact issues in our office. I'll give you an example of, uh, let's imagine that we're in the ocean in Mexico and it's a pretty wavy day and the waves are coming in, right? The waves are going in towards the shore. So we're out swimming in the ocean and we see a shark just the fin of a shark, just to just like jaws, right? Just above the surface of the water. And that shark is between us and the shore. If we see the shark fin there, human nature is going to tell us we're going to start swimming like hell and we're going to swim against the current. We're going to swim out towards the water because we can't go in. 
And that's great. I mean, that burst of energy is nature's fight or flight response that is going to save your life uh, when that shark is there. The problem is, two, one problem is how long can you keep that up? And the second problem is what happens when you look over your shoulder and now that shark is gone or you see it heading in the other direction? Human nature is now we're going to slow down. The fear is gone, and now the motivation to keep swimming is gone. And that's what we're trying to do with our staff is we're trying to get them to, to swim against the current and do things that are not natural to them that they don't believe in because we put a shark in the water, right? We've put an or else in the water. We've put a threat. We, we're going to rule them by fear. How much easier would things be how much more enjoyable would a, would a swim be if we could go, if we're going to get out of the ocean and we're going to go in the lazy river at the resort and the lazy river has its current. We're going to sit in an inner tube with a drink in our hands, sunglasses on, and we're just going to go with the flow. And if we're, if we're floating and swimming downstream, man, I could do that all day long and I would love doing that. And by the time I'm done, I'm going to feel amazing. And while I'm doing it, I'm going to look around and have a great time enjoying all the scenery. And that's the big difference between swimming against the current and swimming with the current. So if you apply that to how we, we look at, uh, at how we motivate people and, and the science behind human motivation, the extrinsic motivators of fear don't work if we're trying to push somebody upstream or against the current. Now it can work if they're going with the current. So if we're trying to encourage them to do something that they would naturally do, then yeah, maybe that shark gives them a little bit of a boost and it's a little bit of extra motivation for them, but they can only fake it for so long um, going against current or going against their natural values and beliefs. And that's the traditional way of managing your staff. Put a shark in the water and rule them by fear and force them to swim the direction that you're telling them to swim. And it just doesn't work. As soon as that shark is gone, and we've all done this, right? We've all had a big initiative. We're going to put a lot of effort into it. Everyone's going to work really hard. We're going to keep a close eye on it. We're going to put that shark in the water. But as soon as that shark drifts away, then everybody just reverts back to swimming with the current. That's nature. You can't fight nature. You can't fight biology. Um, that's just the way it is. Very true. And we all come with our, um, you know, set of strengths and weaknesses. And we all do uh, like to do the things that we enjoy doing, that we're good at. And actually, one of the things that, that we see in dental offices is that, you know, they would put someone on the phone and say, OK, make outgoing calls and get patients back on the schedule. But they have no sales skills. They're not comfortable doing that. They're not comfortable. They, they don't understand how to uncover patients' objections. And so what happens is they actually, they despise those calls. And while we give them a checklist that they have to check off every time they make a call, their human nature is fighting against those calls. And, and, and then they're not successful. And so then what happens is they say, well, it doesn't work. No one picks up the phone. No one wants to schedule an appointment. And the reality is we have someone on the phone trying to do something because they have a checklist that they have to turn in that they're neither naturally inclined to do nor have been trained to do. And, and I think that's, that's a huge part of, you know, having, how do I motivate them to make the calls? You put the, you put the shark in the water and you're forcing them to swim upstream or against the current. And the dentist solution, stupid dentist is, well, let's just put a bigger shark. 
let's put more sharks. That's going to solve the problem, right? I'll buy a shark with lasers attached to it, and that's going to solve the problem. Or make the price bigger at the end. Right. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. So then the question is, and again, this is something I thought a lot about when we're trying to, to, to conquer these things, is, well, how do you how do you get people to swim with the current? Because let's say, let's say making those calls. In an ideal world, somebody would absolutely love making those calls. But that doesn't always work out. I mean, there's always aspects of everybody's job that is not going to match up perfectly with their natural talents and abilities. Um, that's just what I found. And again, maybe we could do a bit better job of assembling our team and positioning people properly. But the reality in our office, at least, is it not, it's not going to match up properly. So what we try to do is um, everybody has their natural abilities and their natural intrinsic motivators. And they're all very, very unique. Some people love making those calls. Some people hate making those calls. But I found that there are two things that are common intrinsic motivators to virtually everybody. And if you can tap into these two things, you can make anybody swim with the current, no matter what they're doing. And those two motivators are playing on a winning team. Everybody wants to play on a winning team. Nobody wants to play for last place. That's a, that's a very strong motivator, the, the ability to play and contribute to a winning team. The second motivator that is common to everybody in our office is everybody wants to help other people. Uh, whether it's helping their teammates or helping patients, everybody is naturally a helper. It seems like you don't get into this industry if you're not a helper, if you're not a giving person. So if you can tap into somebody's intrinsic motivation to be part of a winning team and contribute on a winning team and to help people and show them how they can help other people, then um, those are very, very strong motivators. And you can turn almost any task into a with the current swimming task if you can tap into those two things. And then, you know, we talked in part one about how do you know when to hire an office manager? And I said that, you know, you need an office manager when you dread the idea of having these coaching conversations with your staff, because essentially the office manager is your head coach. If you really want to grow a self-managing team, I think there's two key positions that you have to fill on this team. The first is the head coach. And that's the person that's, that has the natural ability and the passion for taking somebody and bringing out their strengths and putting them in, putting them in the right positions and developing the right game plan for the players that you have. But the second key position, and this is something that is key for motivation is not only do you need a head coach, but you need a head cheerleader. You need somebody that can paint the bigger picture of here's what we're trying to do. Here's how we're going to build a winning team. I believe in you. We can do this. Rah, rah, rah. You need somebody that's going to be that cheerleader. And if you have a head coach, a solid head coach, and you have a solid head cheerleader, and maybe that's the same person, then you can go anywhere. You can build a self-managing team. If you don't have those positions, then you're really going to struggle with people always. You're always going to be trying to push them against the current with the Sharks, and it just doesn't work. 
Absolutely. I, I call that head cheerleader the uh, chief energizing officer. Yep. And in my practice, that would be me. I'm the one, I'm, you know, I'm always a little manic, so it, it, uh, it fits my personality. Um, and I also, I co-coach. I have a co-coach, uh, actually someone who started with me from um, uh, straight out of dental assistant school. And I didn't even have a position for her. I had this young lady in front of me um, in her internship and she was just, she had so much energy. She was so bright. She was just burning off the chair. And I, I created some sort of a position, something scanning or filing. I don't know. It was many years ago. And, and she is really my, not only the, you know, office administrator, but she's also the co-coach in my practice. And essentially, you know, it all goes back to eliminating, delegating, and automating. If there's a task in your practice that, you know, you, the person at the front office doesn't like to do, she doesn't know how to do it, you can try to train her because sometimes it's just lack of training. We don't like to do things that we are not uh, good at, right? So we train her. If we can't train her, then do we eliminate this completely? Is this even something that needs to be done? We've been doing things a long way, and sometimes we just need to decide on whether this is even productive. But if we realize it is productive, we cannot eliminate it, then we either delegate it or automate it. You know, and talking about recall, I think that personal calls are very important. You can, if you don't want to do them, you can automate them. Uh, but in the very least, if your front office is not good at them and doesn't like doing them, but she's really good at other things, and I think Abe mentioned that eight out of two, then maybe delegating the specific task will free up more time for her to do things that she really likes. And, and then she can swim down the stream and, and feel successful and accomplished and, and happy because sometimes it's not that we don't have the right people on the bus. It's just that we have the, the right people in the wrong seats. Right. Another way to look at it is, and this is the way we're trying to build our team here is let's say there's, like like Abe said, there's 10 criteria that make a great team player. I want the people who are exponentially better in one or two of those areas. And I'm okay if they kind of suck in the other eight or nine areas. And you look at the way we're going to build a basketball team. I want Dennis Rodman because he is exponentially better at defense and rebounding than anybody else. He's not a little bit better. He's exponentially better. Even though he's a crazy whack job, uh, and probably a horrible teammate in a lot of ways, I want him because he's exponentially better. And then I want Steve Kerr because he's exponentially better at shooting threes. And if we can have people who have exponential superpowers in these one or two very specific areas, then as the head coach, we can find ways to mitigate their downsides and put them in positions to succeed. I would never have Steve Kerr guard the other team's best player. I want him camped out at three-point line and just ready to shoot the three. That's all he's got to do. I would, I would never have Dennis Rodman lead a team meeting or lead a workout. It's just We just got to know our strengths. And that's why on this team, you've got to have a solid head coach who understands how to make the best use of the players that you have and how to maximize their strengths and develop a game plan to make them successful. And then you got to have that that head cheerleader, that chief energizing officer to get everybody positive on board, excited about the future and excited about where we're going. And if that person is you, then fantastic. If that person is the same person, then fantastic. If it's not you, 
well, you've got options. You hire somebody, which is, it's hard to hire for this type of position. Uh, I mean, what are you going to hire for? Can you do a cheer and show me how, I mean, what are you going to, what are the criteria? What I found is you identify staff who have some natural ability to do these things. And then you take those staff and you polish them. You refine their skills uh, until they end up being elite in as either a head coach or a, a cheerleader. And that's really the, um, the key for, for building a, a self-managing team, finding that head coach, finding that head cheerleader, and then letting them play, right? Letting them do their thing. Absolutely. I don't even know if I have anything to add to this because I think you've, uh, you've really, I, I think the, the basketball analogy really works here. And, uh, and I know it's difficult for, you know, you and I both have big practices. Abe has a big practice. I know it's a little bit more difficult for someone who is maybe either starting out or they have, one or two people on their team and it's really hard to you know have a team and a cheerleader and a coach uh but it, but that's the formula and and so the challenge then is not how do i manage and motivate people the challenge is is how do i create those positions on my team and where do i find those people and it's really it's really about putting uh, the right team together the smaller your team is the more it's going to matter every player yeah, and and if the question is where do you find them, well, they're probably sitting in your office right now, right? There's probably somebody on your team that has some coaching ability. If it's not you, it's it's somebody, and they don't have to be world class. They just have to have some natural ability. Even Phil Jackson, um, he cut his teeth somewhere, right? He learned how to coach somewhere. He wasn't born Phil Jackson, but he had some ability, and he refined that skill over time. So, you just got to find somebody in your team that has uh, just an inkling of these skills. And those skills can be grown and developed. And to go back to part one, I think that uh, some of those skills are going to be uncovered during those one-on-ones that we discuss. So you take some of your, you know, star players, you take some of your weaker players, and you, uh, well, and, and those in my in my practice, those are very quick meetings. I'm not there by myself. I am with my co-coach Shauna, and um, you know, I I, I barely. I don't really say anything. I just ask a few questions and um, I let them discover their own strength and their own weaknesses and direction in which they want to go. And I'm, I'm just there to provide resources. Right. And, and the fear that docs have is, well, what if it sucks? And some of them are, and when you start, they're very uncomfortable. And, but that's okay. This is an 80-20 exercise. If you do 10 of them, then two of them are going to give you 80% of your value. And then just forget about the other eight. Right? Just don't do them anymore or schedule them once a year. Right? You'll check in every once in a while. But there's going to be uh, a couple of those one-to-ones, a couple of your staff where you're going to strike gold. And it doesn't matter whether you have five staff, or whether you have 50, you're going to strike gold somewhere there. Absolutely. Okay. Any questions? What else do you guys want to talk about? I got a question. Do you have any uh, specific suggestions for... Uh one-on-one resources. I know you, you mentioned there's a lot of them out of there. Any of that you found were really good, powerful? Yeah. First of all, Coaching Habit is a book. Um, I don't know who wrote it. It's like a light blue colored book, but it's really, really good. Another one is called Painless Performance Conversations. That's a good one. Uh, another one is Performance Reviews Suck. And then if you go on those books... You know, if you go on Amazon, they'll have all kinds of related books and you can go down a rabbit hole and go forever on these. The other really good resource is a website 
getlighthouse.com. And these guys, they sell some sort of software. I don't even know what the software does. Um, some sort of HR type software, but they have a blog on there. That's actually quite good. And they're really, really into this one-on-one thing, maybe a little obsessively into this one-on-one thing, but there's a lot of good blog articles. And again, it's, it goes on and on. There's like hundreds of articles on this website. You could read this thing forever on one-on-one. So I'd probably start there and then coaching habit performance review suck, painless performance conversations. Um, those are all great books. All right. Well, it looks like uh, we answered all the questions. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Gina. I, th- I think that was enlightening. I learned a lot. Uh, I always learn a lot when we talk. Hot topic these days. I hope it was helpful for everybody. Um, check us out, practiceonfirelive.com, where you're going to hear even more of this uh, good stuff that's hopefully a little bit different. If you're, if you're up at 1030 on a Wednesday night listening or watching this, then this is probably a problem for you and you've probably tried the conventional solutions and you're still struggling. So I hope that we're able to open our eyes to some new approaches, uh, try them out and let us know how it goes. Thanks everybody.